It's great to be up here in the land of Omaha. You know, Peyton Manning made Omaha famous. Come on, Omaha, Omaha. We know we're going to change that play and we're going to do something. Really, what I love about being up here in Tennessee is the home of Davy Crockett. Now, I grew up loving Davy Crockett. Couldn't get enough of Davy Crockett when I was a boy. Matter of fact, they came out with the Davy Crockett series on Walt Disney, Wide World of Disney, whatever it was back when I was a boy, before most of you were born. And uh, I, 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 one night I tried to stay home and watch it. I, I, I faked being sick on a Sunday night. Now, I grew up in church. My mama played the piano. My grandfather was our pastor. So we never missed church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When we had revivals, they would be like all week or two-week revivals. You never miss church. So I said, Davy Crockett's come home. I got to fake I'm sick. So I said, Mama, I'm sick. I, I, I can't really go. I'm really messed up. I'm all messed up. All I'm doing is trying to stay home and watch Davy Crockett. She, she looked right through me. She knew what was going on. She said, no, you're going to church. If you're sick, you'll go to church. You'll be healed when you're at church. So, come on. so, go to church. so I never got to see Davy Crockett. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Oh, I'll tell you what. Hey, I love your pastor. I love his family. I've grown to love you guys really from a distance uh, because I've, I've traveled a lot with your pastor. Your pastor serves on a national board called Equip, which is serving 196 nations of the world, taking Christian leadership to the world through Dr. John Maxwell. And your pastor and I have served together on that board many, many years together. And we've had some great adventures together. So I've, I've fallen in love with you through your pastor because he loves you so much. And he talks about you and brags on you all the time. And he's off in Israel, and he said, hey, would you come up and join me and, and, and be at, at Faith Promise? I said, come on, man, I'm here at Faith Promise. So you got to put up with an old broken-down football coach that uh, God called into ministry about 33 years ago. And it's been an exciting journey to see what God has done. Well, I, I understand we're in March Madness, eliminating your financial foes. And uh, we're going to talk about a great comeback today, but I'll tell you one thing I've learned. There's a principle I've learned how to really defeat the financial foes of your life. And it's one word. It's called generosity. When you live with a spirit of generosity, it has a way of changing the game around. I don't care how far you think you're behind, how far you're trailing, generosity will always bring you back and give you the greatest comeback. Last year, we had the greatest March Madness comeback in the history of, of March Madness uh, in the NCAA basketball tournament. Texas A&M was trailing by 12 points with 44 seconds to go in the game. They were trailing northern Iowa. And guess what? They sunk a three-pointer a, a three right at the buzzer to tie the game, went into double overtime, and they won in double overtime. Now, that was the greatest comeback. But we're going to look at a comeback story in the Bible today, and here's what I love about the Word of God. No matter where you go, if you go in one of the 39 books of the Old Testament or 27 books of the New Testament, you're going to find the truth of God is revealed in every page. And there are principles of God that jump off of the stories of God, and, and they, they can teach us how to have that winning edge in life. Now, I'm a coach. I want to win. And I believe that God created us to win. Christ came that we could win in life. And there's no reason, as a follower of Christ, we should be under a financial burden in our lives. It's just not how God intended it to be. 
When you apply the principles of God to your life, you will win. You'll win in your relationship, you'll win in your business, you'll win in your education, and you will win in your finances. It's just God didn't create us to be under things. He created us to be on top of things. And I think it's just by, are we going to apply his principles? Are we going to go? One thing I learned as a coach, no matter what level you're coaching on, when I was coaching, I coached college ball, and, and, and I would go at every level. I'd go to the pros and try to learn from the pros. But I found out they were all executing the same fundamentals. The pros were just stronger, faster, quicker, and they executed the fundamentals more consistently, and that's why they were professionals. That's why they made the cut. The secret is, how well are we executing the fundamentals of our faith, especially in this area of finances? So I want us to look at a story in the Bible today that I think will give us a, a couple of great little secrets of some principles that maybe we can apply to our personal life, no matter where you find yourself in this spectrum, okay? So let's jump into it. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. The old prophet Elijah has pronounced a curse on the land, and there's been three years of drought. Now, in Israel, when you look at the nation of Israel, the northern parts of Israel were called Samaria. And in Samaria, there was a king. His name was Ahab. He was married to a witch. I'm talking about an evil woman witch. Her name was, say it with me out loud, Jezebel. Wow. I've never known any mother to name a daughter Jezebel. Because that, that is an evil biblical name. Because she was killing all the prophets. She, she had a death warrant out on Elijah, the prophet, to kill him because he had exposed her wickedness and her evilness, and he said, this is God's nation to rule, not your nation to rule. So he's hiding out, and God's airmailing his food in every day with ravens. Ravens are bringing food into him, and he's by a little stream, and then one day the stream dries up, and he says, I want you to go to an unusual place to the most unlikely person to get the help you need in your hour of need. So let's look at the story. Here we go. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. We begin reading in verse 7. Now, sometime later, a brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to him, go to, 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 uh, to Sidon, to Zarephath of Sidon, and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, right there is strange. He's got to leave Israel. He's going to go into a Gentile pagan place, Sidon, to Zarephath, and a widow is going to be your supply? Man, that doesn't make sense. If you notice that sometimes when God asks us to do things, it doesn't always make sense to us logically. But here's, here's the story. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and he said, uh, uh, bring me please a piece of bread. Well, surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. Wow, she is at her end. She's at her end. Hope is gone. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you said, but first, note that, but first make a small cake of bread for me. Boy, that seems selfish, doesn't it? What are you, 
the woman's about to die, and the prophet's saying, but give me first the first. What do you mean give me first? Don't you feed the child first? That's what the mother would do. She's going to feed the child. Probably doesn't eat anything on earth. She's going to make that last meal for the child. And here's the prophet saying, what you would give to your child, I want you to give to me? Wow. And so, and from what you have and, and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went away. And did, now that's important, she did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Elijah. Here's, here's the first thing that jumps out at me. There's the principle of the first. You know, God has always asked of us to give him our first and our best. Because that is a reflection of the loyalty and commitment of our heart. God has always said, what was it? Thou shalt have no other gods above me. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is God's request of us because he so passionately loves us. And he wants us to passionately love him. And every expression of our life should be that we are seeking to put God first. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. All the other things you have need will be added to you if you get that priority right. If you get your life aligned with God's heart and God's will and God's destiny for your life, you will never be defeated, especially not by a financial foe. And he has no way. If you're in alignment with God's heart and his purposes in your life. So what was really going on here was this. Elijah challenged the woman to obey what God had commanded her. In verse 9, God had commanded the widow, when you see my prophet come, you will recognize him. You will know in your heart when he comes. When you see him, you take care of him, and whatever he has need of, you give him. God commanded her to do that. So she, all Elijah was doing, he wasn't really being selfish. He was really taking a woman and saying, here, I'm going to position you to align yourself with the will of God in your life, and that's where the provision of God will flow into your life when you are aligned in the will of God in your life. You put the principle of first. He is first. He's first place. He's first in my time, my talents, my resources, my money. My wife and I, we've been married 52 years. We got married, hey, we got married on a, we got married on a Saturday night in a little humble wedding that we had. And I was a sophomore in college playing football on a football scholarship. And, uh, and I've been waiting. And she was like marrying Mother Teresa's sister. I mean, she was a holy missionary the day I met her at 16. She'd only date me in church. That was all she'd do. I only date in church. And so, man, I was waiting for that, you know, come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. I'm waiting on that marriage day. I'm a, and so we get married on Saturday night. We, we go to this, you know, we go to the, to the Holiday Inn. That was a big step up for us to go to Holiday Inn. I mean, I had to borrow money to go to Holiday Inn. And so we go to Holiday Inn. And so here's Sunday morning, our first full day together as husband and wife. She's getting dressed for church. And I said, what are you doing, baby? She said, well, this is Sunday. We're going to church. I said, no, 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 baby. We are not going to church today. Uh -uh. No, no, no. I've been waiting four years. I'm waiting four years. Come on. I've been waiting four years, and you're telling me we're going to church? Well, guess what? 
We went to church. Yeah. <laughs> Been there ever since. <laughs> and we've always understood that if you keep God first in your relationship, you keep God first in your finances, you keep God first in your family, you keep God first in your business, you keep God first in your education, you keep God first, just keep God first. That principle of first, bring the first. And you know what? He blesses you when you keep him first. Our marriage, I've been married 52 years, it's more vibrant and exciting today than it ever has been. We've kept God first. He's first in everything. We've always tithed. Don and I always tithe. Matter of fact, we, we started increasing our tithe because we, when our kids got married, they were married right out of college. We said, here, I'm going to recommend you start your tithe at 20%. Live on 80, actually live on 70% of your income. Tithe 20%, take 10% and save it, and see what God will do for you if you'll start that practice off right off the bat. And they looked at me like, what? And we said, yeah, you, you can do that. You can do that. Mom and I have done that. We've been practicing that. And God has so blessed us through the years. It's ridiculous how God has blessed us. It's the principle of first fruits. Look at this verse in Proverbs 3, 9. Great verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's, it's all about an attitude of the heart. At that moment, when that woman was asked to give the first to the prophet, it was, a, it was a big crisis in her life. Am I going to give in to what I believe in my flesh, or am I going to trust God? It was a trust issue. God had commanded her, is she going to trust God, or am I going to do what I think I need to do and hold on to what little bit I have? But she took that step of faith and trusted God with it. See, really, giving comes down to an, uh, an attitude of, trust. Do we really trust God? Do we believe that he is the source of all good things we have in our life? If we do, then we live life with an open hand. I'm here to receive from God, and I'm here to give. I'm here to be a vessel that God can give through to others. So we live to give. And I found this generosity has nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. We think, well, people have a lot, you know, they're in a position to be generous. No, this woman had nothing, and she demonstrated true sacrificial generosity in her life. When we started our church 33 years ago, we were in a little schoolhouse, and there was just a handful of us, and we had this one kid that somebody won to the Lord on the beach. His name was Dirk, and he was a surfer dude, okay? He had long, scraggly hair. He wore these old scraggly T-shirts and cut-off jeans, and he wore flip-flops. That's what I used to call them, those little flip-flop things he'd wear, and like everybody was dude. He'd walk in, hey, Pastor, dude, what's up? You know, what? I never could tell if he was high on marijuana or if he was high on Jesus. I never could tell because he was like, hey, man, what's up? You know, hey, man, what's up? So he, he, he would come. So I, I got a couple of me one time and said, hey, go get him some clothes. Back then we were pretty formal and we'd wear coat and ties. And, and I even sat in, in this little cafetorium. I put a chair up on the platform because that's all I knew. You know, the church I grew up in had these big throne chairs. We had these big chairs and the preachers would sit back in the throne chairs. You know, and, and so I had a little chair up there. And so we got him some clothes. So one Sunday morning, he comes in real late, and he's coming in, and he's, like, greeting everybody. Hey, what's up? And I'm preaching already. I'm up and preaching. And he comes walking in, no shoes or socks on. He's got his pants on, got his dress shirt on, no shoes or socks. 
And I'm going, what's happening? And he, and he walks down and sits on the front row. So I got to look at his bare feet all through the church going, I don't see a burning bush anywhere around here. I mean, I don't know why he took his shoes off. That's disrespectful in the house of God. You ought to put on your best when you come to the house of God. I'm, go, I'm judging that boy up and down one, and, and I'm preaching. So I got down, I went to him, I nailed him. What are you doing here? Why are you coming in with those socks and shoes? Well, you know this house of God. You need to give your best. You need to dress your best. You know, man, 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 man. He said, well, Pastor, dude, I'm just trying to, you know, do like you told us, you know, man, like, you know, we're supposed to add value where we can. And, and you, know, you know, we all live to give around here. And, and whatever, whatever God's given us, we're supposed to look for opportunities to give it to others. And he says, you know, I was, uh, when I was coming in, I saw this dude. He was like a homeless dude. You know, he's like pushing a shopping cart. And I looked, and he didn't have any shoes and socks on. And so I thought, well, what would Jesus do? You know, and I thought, well, so I sat down, and I took my socks and shoes off, and I put them on him. And he's telling me this story, and I'm going. <laughs> Here's this boy acting like Jesus. Letting the spirit of generosity flow out of him. Dirk never had anything. He didn't care about anything. He just, he's around there, hey, dude, we're all loving Jesus here. You know, it's like, you know. But I, I've never forgot about that story. It is amazing that I really do believe that when we reflect the heart of Christ, you cannot hold back the spirit of generosity from coming over you. And wherever you go, you'll be known for your generosity. Are you known for that? Are you known for your generosity? We frequent a couple of local restaurants um, where I live in South Florida, my wife and I, and uh, we're kind of boring. We, we keep going back to the same places. But my wife has built a relationship with, with the servers at these various restaurants. And now they compete to who gets to serve our table. And even when they're not serving our table, they come over to talk to us at our table and they bring their prayer requests to our table. Because Donna prays with everybody. She prays with them all. How can I pray for you today? And loves on them. And then we always give a very generous tip. But then Donna will get in my billfold, take out more money, and she says, here, give me a 20. I need a 20. And I say, here. And she goes up, and she'll slip it in one of the server's hands and say, God bless you, honey. We're praying for you today. And she does this all the time. So when we come in, we're like rock stars in this restaurant. I mean, <laughs> boom. They're just, boom. They're throwing stuff out. Boom. Here's some appetizers. Boom. Here's dessert. Say, boom, boom, boom. I'm just saying, give me more sauce. I need some more sauce in my chips. You know, I'm like, and Donna, she's just passing money out like confetti. <laughs> but she's led a couple of those girls to Christ, too. Because she just, that's the way she is. That's, that's the mother in her. At, at church, after church, she's down praying with women at the altar. I've stopped bringing my billfold now to church. <laughs> I tithe online. I tithe online. I automatically give out. I don't even think about it. It comes out right there. Push pay says, thank you. You've just had your reoccurring gift given to Christ Fellowship. Boom. Hits me twice a month. There it goes. And I say, that's a good way to do it. And then, then we come loaded ready to give. So the other day she hits me up at the altar, and I didn't have my billfold with me. She hits me up. So I go to some of my men on our, our security team, and I said, hey, guys, how much money you got in your billfolds? So I emptied all their billfolds out, several hundreds of dollars, and I'm going to down and say, here, baby, have fun in Jesus' name. 
Hey, you want to hang around my wife. That's all I got to say. You want to hang around her. But men, be careful. Guard your billfolds if you're around her. Now, I went and got the money and brought back and reimbursed the security team. I've been wondering why they got a little skittish around me lately. Every time I come up to them, they're kind of going, you know, instead of putting their hand on their weapons, they're putting their hand on their pockets. <laughs> what are you known for? Are you known for that? There was a, a church in the Bible found in 2 Corinthians Church in Mes- um, uh, up in north. Uh, I'm going to tell you the name of the church in just a minute. Macedonia. Gosh, I couldn't get that name out. Church in Macedonia, when Paul was taking an offering for the saints in need in Jerusalem, he went to Macedonia and he said about them, he says, you know what? They gave out of severe poverty and great trial, they gave, considering it a privilege to be a part of sharing in the giving for the saints in Jerusalem. They never met these people, but they wanted to give to support him. And he was challenging the church at Corinth because Corinth was a very wealthy church and they hadn't given hardly anything. So Paul was saying, what do you want to be known for? The Macedonian church was known as a generous church. Faith promise, are you known? I believe you are. And if you're not, you need to be. You should be the most generous church in Knoxville. Everybody knows faith promise because, man, if there's a need in Knoxville, faith promise is there ready to meet that need. I went to Faith Promise, boom, they were there ready to help and serve. In Florida, we realized there was a major crisis among children. There were so many children being displaced from home, neglected, abandoned, abused children. And then we realized sex trafficking. Florida is the third largest state for sex trafficking, and there was no safe houses in South Florida. So we started one, and then we started a children's home. And we, we now are the largest children's home in the state of Florida. The last three years, we've been recognized as the number one charity for children in crisis in America, our children's home has. And our community, now, where does our community go when there's crisis? They come to Christ Fellowship. If there's a hurricane, they come to Christ Fellowship. If there's a need for a feeding program, they come to Christ Fellowship. We're preparing 500,000 meals today, today, today in South Florida that's going to go around the world in feeding programs where there's droughts happening right now in Western Africa. We're taking it there. We're going to Haiti. We're ministering in our communities, wherever we go, because we have the mindset that we want to be known as the people of God that are full of generosity. And we, we want to be generous with everything we have. And here's the second principle. When you sow generously, you position yourself to reap generously. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I love it. A generous man will prosper, the Word of God says. He'll prosper. He'll be refreshed. And, and I, we, don't, we don't give to get. We give to give. But here's what I want to tell you. You can't hold back that principle of God's blessing on your life. I, I, I've never have uh, uh, been one to tout prosperity type stuff. We don't do things to be prosperous. We do things to be Christ-like. We live a generous life to be Christ-like. But here's what I'm telling you. When you're Christ-like, when you're generous, when you're giving, when, you, when you're investing, when you're sowing into the things of the kingdom of God, you can't help but be a part of the overflow of what God wants to do in and through your life. It's been amazing. Don and I could testify about this all day long. And I love when this woman gave out of her poverty Look at God's provision that came every day. The jug did not run dry. 
and the flour was not used up every day. And by the way, you know what else happened to this woman? You would have thought, well, everything else is good is going to happen to her, but her son died on her. You read the rest of the story. Obviously, he was deathly sick before Elijah came on the scene, and then within a short time, she, he dies. Can you imagine what she felt like? She came to the prophet and said, has God taken my son because of my sin? And Elijah grabbed that boy up, took him up where he was staying in the house, and laid him on the bed and prayed over him, pleaded with God. And he said, God, this widow is provided for me, provide for her, prayed, boom, God brought life back into that boy, and he picked that boy up alive, carried it back down, handed that dead body he took from the mother, he turned it back to a live body and handed it back to her and said, God has heard your prayer and your cry and brought life. Wow. Faith promised we are called by God to bring life in this world to bring life in this community, to speak life. And, to, and, to let, and that's what flows out of a heart of generosity. It positions people to know life. We had a homeless guy living under a bridge. And I mean, the first time I saw him, they brought him to church. This, this couple would go down and would take him food every day, take him blankets, take him whatever he needed, tried to help him every day. Eventually, they loved on him enough that they talked him into getting in the car with them on a Sunday and they brought him to church. You can't even imagine what he smelled like and what he looked like. He'd been living out under that bridge for over a year. His hair was matted. He was a wreck. And I went back and I saw him at the, at the end of a service. I saw him standing in the back with his head down. He didn't want to make eye contact with anybody. And so when service was over, I made a beeline to him. And the couple was standing back there with him. And they said, Pastor, we want you to meet Kelly. I said, Kelly, give me a hug. He looked at me, strange. He's a big man. I said, Kelly, I said, give me a hug. And so I moved in on him. Got in that territory he didn't want me to be in. He backed away, and I grabbed him. Remember, I'm a football coach. <laughs> I've had big men around me before. I grabbed him. I pulled him in. I gave him a hug, and I said, son, we love you. Welcome home. Welcome home. He, he buried his head. He buried his head on my shoulder. He buried his head on my shoulder and started weeping. We got Kelly cleaned up that day. Got him a room. Helped him get a job. Led him to the Lord. Guess what Kelly's doing today? He's taking food and clothes out to the homeless people in our area. And he's going out to them saying, hey, by the way, I used to be just like you, right where you are. But I want you to know there is hope. There is help. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that cares for you. But somebody had a spirit of generosity on them that said, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to add value to somebody else's life at their point of need. That's what true generosity is. And that's what God's called us to as a church family. And I want, I want to hit one more thing quickly here. You have, you have the principle of first fruits. And, and when you really put God first, it forces you to trust him more, doesn't it? And the second principle is, as you sow, you reap. When, when you sow into the things of God, you're in a position to reap the blessing of God. We don't do it for that, but we can't ignore that that's a reality. 
God will provide for you when you are concerned about providing for what he has a desire for you to provide for in the kingdom. See, I believe in the church because the church mobilized in this region is the only hope for Knoxville. It's the only hope for our nation. It's the only hope for the world. It's the church. And we've got to sow and invest in that. That's why I'm a big believer. You bring your tithe into the church. You can give and support other ministries and things that are good, but your tithe comes to the house of God. I'm a big believer in that, and we've practiced that. My wife and I give to a lot of other ministries, but our tithe comes to the church. And I don't even have to think about it because I got it set up electronically. It does it for me automatically. Matter of fact, when we started the new year, I woke up on the first day of the new year, and the first thing that popped up on my phone was, uh, you have given your uh, reoccurring gift to Christ Fellowship. I thought, integrate my first notification on my phone on the first day of the new year was I had given to Christ Fellowship. I said, praise God. I started my new year off with my first act of obedience, bringing my tithe into the house of God. Here's the third principle I want you to get, the principle of multiplication. She gave, she gave her best, and she gave out of her sacrifice, and what did God do? He multiplied what she had to sustain her for all those days. The principle of multiplication. When we invest into the things that God is in, it has a wonderful return. Robert Morris uh, was teaching this principle at our church, and our guys put together a little graphic around his teaching. Let's watch this video together. So, two principles of multiplication from this story. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down, okay? Here's number one. It has to be blessed before it can multiply. What if the disciples had taken the bread and the, and the fish and just given it away? Without Jesus blessing it, it never would have multiplied. Listen to me, well, the Bible says that when we give our tithe to Jesus, to the body of Christ, to the church where we go, that Jesus himself, by the way, this is New Testament, Jesus himself receives our tithes and blesses them. It is the blessing of Jesus that gives our finances the ability to multiply. I know people that give a little here, give a little there, but their finances never have the blessing to multiply. The reason is because Jesus is the only one that can bless your finances. He's the only one. So the first principle is, and it's very, very simple, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. Isn't that true? It's got to be blessed. And when we bring our tithe to the house of God, where, the, where God's blessing is, God's anointing is, and God's anointing is on Faith Promise Church. God is here. God is working through you. And I want to challenge you because you guys have just started. I want you to know you're just getting ready. God's positioning you to have a great move of the Lord. You know, someone asked us one time, well, aren't you guys big enough down there in, in South Florida? And, and, and you, know, you got all these thousands of people coming and 50,000 people online and all these. You already got like eight or nine. What, what? And my son said, no, we're not. Because that's not the number that impresses me. In our region, we have 
million people who do not know Jesus, who are headed for a destiny without Christ. And it's our mission, it's our mission to reach them for the kingdom of God. And whatever it's going to take, we're going to do it. As a matter of fact, we're going to be building and launching new campuses until Jesus parts the eastern sky and says, all right, boys, that's enough. So faith promise, you got to win all of Tennessee. Move south. We'll meet you somewhere around Atlanta. <laughs> We're heading north, you head south. And then together we'll head north and we'll even get some of them Yankees saved up north. Praise God. <laughs> but we got we to be on the move. But we got to understand the principle of multiplication. When I sow and invest into the things of the kingdom, there is a return that is eternal. I heard a great man one time say, these words, and I wrote them down because I, I, I love Winston Churchill. He says, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you get. I want to have a life that's based about what I have done to impact eternity. We were sitting in a service a few months ago, and I, I sit right down here on the front. My son was preaching and he gave an invitation for to receive Christ in that particular service on our one a campus called our Gardens Campus. And literally hundreds of people came forward that day. They packed the altar. They, they went all the way back, all of our main aisleways packed. And, 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 and it was just a great spirit of God. I mean, so many people got saved that weekend at all of our campuses. We had to have a special baptismal service a few weeks later. And we did a big baptismal service. And in one weekend, we baptized 1,600 people for, for God. 1,600 people in, in one weekend. I mean, it's just a God move. It's just a God move. And so I turn around to this couple from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Captain Benny and Vivian Ship. They're in their 80s now. And I turned around to them. I said, Captain, Vivian, I said, your investment is yielding a great return, isn't it? Because, see, years ago when we built our very first building, we got a covered riding arena, an old horse barn, had manure everywhere in it. We couldn't, we didn't have, we didn't have two nickels to rub together in that day's. Went to the bank, the bank wouldn't loan us any money. So we said, well, if we're going to buy this, we're going to have to sell everything we've got, sacrifice everything we have. Benny and Vivian had a home, and, and that was their retirement, was their home. And they sold their home, brought 100% of their money, everything they had in a checking account, everything they had in a savings account, and everything they got for the sale of their house. They were homeless. They brought all of it to the church. I said, I can't receive that. That's your retirement. They said, Pastor, you don't have a word in this. God told us what to do. We're simply obeying God. Well, that made me go home and tell Donna, we got to sell our house. They sell their house. We got to sell ours. I couldn't get anybody to buy ours real quick. I didn't owe any mortgage on my house, so I went out and took the biggest mortgage I could get, brought all of that in, gave that to the church. Everybody sacrificed everything. Well, we had a little house on the property, so we moved them into that. I didn't want them to be on the street, so I put them in that little house. God began to bless. In three years, I had to kick them out of that house, kick them out on the street. I said, you guys are gone. You're homeless again. I got to kick you out. We need this house for ministry. I said, by the way, as we're kicking you out, we're going to give you all your money back plus 10% interest on that money for the three years that we've had that money. They said, what? We didn't? No, we gave that to God. I said, no, no, no. God told me to do this, so just be quiet. You know, be quiet. <laughs> Zip. So we gave them all their money back, 10% interest on that money. 
for the three years that we had it, and they turned around and tied 10% off all of that and gave it back to the church. But see, they had made an investment that reaped, is still reaping ongoing a reward. All the families that started with us 33 years ago are still with us today. All the families that went into that little uh, barn are with us today. Their kids are with, their grandkids are with. Why? Because they got hold of a mission and a vision of what we're doing in this region. Faith promise, we need to rise up as a church, get hold of the vision God has for us, and say, Lord, you got us. We're here. We're all in. I'm all in. And, I, and I, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. And everything I have is available to you. And here's what else I've learned. When you live life with an open hand, guess what? Not only will you be in a position to be more generous, you're also in a position to receive more from God. And then we can invest our lives into the work of the kingdom of God. Amen? So I want you to look back, if you can put for me the scripture at the very beginning of the message that I did not post on 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Can you get to that verse, guys, and put that up? Here we go. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us embrace the truth of this great message today from your word to our hearts, that we would be like the, the widow of Zarephath, that when God, you speak, we're ready to obey. And we will take even in our difficult times of crisis, we will always practice giving you our first and our best. Whatever that is, no matter how small it is, we're going to give you our first and our best. We want to be someone who positions ourselves to where we're honoring you. And you've told us that those who honor me, I will honor. And Father, we want to make an investment that will be multiplied by your blessing. And that blessing will have eternal impact. May we excel in the grace of giving. May we honor you. And if we do, I, I know, Father, you will help us defeat every financial foe that would come against us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let me tell you something. Last year, we took our church through Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey's course, teach you how to apply biblical principles to your finances. 10,000 people signed up and went through the nine-week course, 10,000 adults. We tracked them for the next several months and did a survey with them online. They told us what their debt was when they started, what their debt was when they started applying biblical principles to their finances. Do you know what happened in our church alone among those 10,000 people? Buckle up. You're not going to believe this. This is unbelievable. They paid off in personal debt $16 million. A personal debt was paid off. And they put another $12 million in the bank in their savings account. Think about that. Just applying God's principles. Now they're free to even be more generous for the things of God. Would you stand with me? Um, we always want to give an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never fully surrendered your life over to Christ, but you're feeling that, that warmth and tug of heart 
and, and you know there's something more in your life. Well, that something more is Jesus. and You can know him and you can invite him into your life today and he will transform your life from the inside out. We're going to pray a simple prayer. That the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord, is our Savior, that that moment salvation comes into your life. So we're going to pray a little prayer. We're all going to pray it together. Let's all pray it together. But for you who are praying this for the first time, you pray a little bit louder than those standing beside you, okay? Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We acknowledge you as the Son of God. And we ask you into our heart to forgive us of all of our sins and to transform our lives from the inside out. From this day forward, I commit to live for you and serve you with all of my heart. And I seal this commitment in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's celebrate those that have prayed that for the first time today. Now, there's a card right behind your, your, your uh, seats. You can fill that out on the upper right hand corner. It says, I prayed to receive Christ. Drop that with an usher or drop that in the offering uh, boxes that we have out in the foyer when you guys go because we want to track that. Okay, one final thing. Get your hands free. Everybody get your hands free. Have nothing in your hands. Get that coffee down. Let's go. Hands free, hands free. Now, in football, we call this the breakdown. Your feet are spread the width of your shoulders. You get in fundamental position. When you holler breakdown, you're going to flex your knees back and straight. Boom, you go in this position. It's fundamental position. Okay, ready? Breakdown. Boom, okay. Don't go too low, some of you. you you'll have a hard time getting back up. Now, the next thing we're doing, when I holler break down, next time we're going to clap. Here's the clap. It's one, two, three, one. Practice that. One, two, three, one. Okay, I'm going to do it with enthusiasm. Come on. If you don't do this well, you will run laps after church. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So I'm going to holler break down. We're going to break down, do our clap, and we're going to come up with the name of Jesus. Shout his name out. Amen? Amen. And then turn and high-five at least two people and tell them, excel in the grace of giving. Boom. Just hit them. Excel in the grace of giving. Boom. You got it? Here we go. Ready, 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 ready. Come on, ready, ready. Come on, come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Ready, break down. Jesus, excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving.